Welcome to Let's Finally Watch This, a podcast for casual movie fans who have always meant to watch classic movies. I'm your host, Nick Hayden. And I am the other host, Timothy Deal. And this is our end of season wrap up. Yay! Yay, we made it through the century. A whole season of uh, great movies. Good and movies that I had not seen. That's right. And most of them I had not either. I think I had seen three of these. I think it's if we include the trip to the moon. A trip to the moon, yeah. Yep. All right, we're going to start before we get to kind of our wrap up of which movies you really need to watch. We will just kind of take an overview of the history of movies that we learned over this season. This was a very interesting podcast to put together, and uh, it was very interesting to kind of organize and figure out what was the highlights for a particular uh, episode, the history that we really wanted to look at. It's funny, when we first started, we were talking about, like, wanting to talk about what was going on in that year in film, which we did. We went to more specifics, but as we went... I found I really needed to talk a little bit more about the decade in which this films took place. The cultural setting. Exactly, because there's there's a lot going on in any given, you know, uh, year is part of a decade, which is part of a century, which is part of a millennium, which is, uh, okay, well, we, we didn't go quite that grand, but... <laughs> no, but, and a lot can change in a decade. So what are some of the changes we saw kind of over the century? We really picked up in Hollywood in the 1930s. Our first episode was the 1920s. We didn't talk about Hollywood itself that then. Maybe we'll do that more next season. But we really started talking about Hollywood in the 1930s with the studio system and how that uh, ended in the mid early to mid 50s and uh, transitioned. There was kind of this in between period before they had the new Hollywood era in the 60s and 70s up till like 1982 ish. Um, And then we've had the blockbuster age essentially ever since. Sometimes we talked a little bit more about the culture of America that was going Mm -hmm. on at the time. Sometimes we talked more about the filmmakers of a particular thing. But there was a few factors that I regularly looked at when we were talking about each decade. Just a couple of things that I found perennially, I found interesting and relevant to the ongoing history of film. One of those was the power struggles of the film industry. The ongoing question of who is most responsible for the making of movies. And it's going to be consistently or continually a question because that's always the thing. Is the director in charge? Is the studio in charge? Is the execs in charge? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's an ongoing question and power struggle in some ways because with filmmaking, you really have to balance the needs of the business with or against the needs of the art. Mm -hmm. And that's true for a lot of art forms but especially film being such a collaborative process. And such a moneymaker. And such a moneymaker. <laughs> There's a lot of considerations that go into that. Speaking of money, I do want to kind of touch on something that I noticed after editing the season, that sometimes we talked about films having become cheaper to produce in the last 30 years, but also that the studios made a lot more of them during the studio system in the 30s and 40s. In fact, at the height of it, the studios were making out over 50 films a year. And the reason for that, and if that seems like a contradiction, it's like, well, they were easier to do back then or are they easier to do now? There are different dynamics going on. A lot of the studio system's output was B-movies that were inexpensive because they had such an efficient assembly line structure Mm -hmm. to kind of push them through. But the technology itself, the cameras, the lighting equipment, all the stuff that made movies possible was very expensive. Mm -hmm. So you had to be in a studio to get that. Nowadays, the technology has become a lot cheaper. You can make an awesome movie just using your phone. 
Anyone can film. <laughs> Anyone <laughs> can film. But, or a great filmmaker can come from anywhere. Uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, the studios have become fixated on blockbusters, which do still cost a lot of money. Yes. With like special effects, special computer effects, graphics. And... They, we've probably seen way more than special effects than they did. Well, except maybe for Journey to the Moon or Trip to the Moon. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. If you're if you're anyone other than George Melee's, <laughs> yes, the the special effects budget has definitely quadrupled. And again, it's because studios and the corporations that own them are fixated on the high investment, high reward model. I mean, people talk about movies, the ones that succeed are the superheroes, the ones that you feel like you have to see on the big screen. And a lot of the like more dramatic, low-key stuff has kind of been moving more and more into like TV and streaming services. And there's a lot of good stuff like that, but yeah. that's not this podcast. Yes, that's not this podcast. <laughs> but anyway, the whole power struggles is fascinating because of the, those dynamics and will continue to be. Because again, like I said, filmmaking is a collaborative medium, a collaborative form of storytelling. And as much as the auteur theory sometimes overemphasizes the role of the director, there are a lot of people who will work on it, not just executives, but unfortunately in this podcast, since we're limited on time of things, we don't always get into all the different roles of like the editors mm -hmm. and the screenwriters and all the stuff, even though they often play a very important role in the storytelling as well. And another thing we've seen over the last 120 years is that just technology has changed. That's I mean, right. And we've mentioned that with the cameras, but just what you can even do, we've started with no sound and then talkies. And then color, uh -huh. and then computer graphics, and then 3D. And there's always something, every decade it seemed like there was something new. The, the widescreen, the, there was always something. Yeah, because the studios know that that's a great draw to bring people into the box office. There's always other forms of entertainment, of storytelling, media that are competing for movies' attention. And movies are very immersive forms, so you keep finding different ways to immerse the person in the story. Yeah. It's different than a book in that way. Yeah. Storytelling has always gone hand-in-hand hand with technology in a way that the way you craft stories really depends depending on the technology that's available to you, whether mm -hmm. when... Uh, all storytelling was was the oral tradition. It became much more poetic because it was technical literary in the ways you would use the words, or, right? Or it, how you would alliterate, or whatever. As part as a way to help the teller remember how to mm -hmm. tell the story. If it wasn't, you know, you didn't write it all down, you may have put it in a song because that was easier to remember. And then, of course, when we got the printing press, then suddenly it became much more possible to tell much longer stories mm -hmm. uh, in a written form than we ever had had before. I mean, not counting, I guess, the Odyssey. That's so. I Odyssey's guess, a whole, yeah, that's a whole thing. That's a whole thing. But you know, that oh, kind of thing was much more rare than in the days of, say, Dickens or Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I mean, a lot of those were also made possible because of magazines. You know, yeah, serialized you format. Just pump it out. Yeah. Yep. So and anyway, it, radio later. Radio later, and you know, then movies like we said it kept evolving and now we have video games that are learning yep. new ways of telling stories but so anyway that's fascinating and it's interesting to see all the different ways that film has uh, the different shapes that it's taken as the technology is, mm -hmm. has changed the other thing we looked at regularly was success I'm always interested in what determines the long term success of a movie is it the box office revenues is it the critics is it just the fact that this movie was the first time someone has done a certain thing and, and we kind of saw all of that in the movies that we watched this season yeah sometimes it was a big hit sometimes it wasn't 
but the critics loved it. Sometimes it just happened to be the kind of the first one to do something kind of cool. Yeah, sometimes you had a couple cases where it became popular after the fact, mm-hmm. um, like Magnificent Ambersons, Blade Runner. They found an audience well after the original premiere. So yeah, there, I guess what we can conclude from that is that there's no one right answer there. <laughs> yes, just tell your best story and hopefully someone likes it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. So Tim, what do you think you learned most about film history over this season? I think I mentioned it in um, whenever we were first getting to these decades, but I, I did enjoy digging into the the new Hollywood era, the 60s and 70s, because that was an era I had not really studied a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in a lot of ways, we really just scratched the surface there. It'll be interesting to see what movies we wind up with next season. The 60s and 70s were just so revolutionary, and they brought a lot of changes to our culture that we're still suffering or living through now, (laughs) depending on how you see some of those changes. And yeah, I don't know. I'll be curious to see more on a case-by-case basis, movies that reflect that. How about you? I think my most interesting one, just because I have less exposure to some of these older films, is just seeing the progression. Just seeing the, you know, the every decade, very sudden, very unique changes in the filming style and the presentation, the subject matter. And it was interesting to see some of these uh, very iconic movies be like, oh, this is why everyone talks about that. So but as far as film history, I think it just, yeah, just seeing the, the movement and the, the way we structure this season, just the snapshots of this steady progression. I think that was really interesting. Is there any particular era that you uh, would really like to see more of? I mean, probably next season we, we're thinking we'll continue to do this decade-by-decade yeah. decade thing. But in general, is there a gap that you would like to really explore a little bit more? Well, I, I do know gap-wise, like the 60s, 70s, I'm not particularly, especially 70s, is just like this mystery <laughs> decade for me. Sure. But like, I've always been fascinated with the more stylized, I guess the 40s, where there's, the, it's somewhere between a movie and a play still, but it's, it's much more planned. You know, the shots are very, uh, again, we watched Orson Welles. But I <laughs> sure. mean, in general, you don't, the camera doesn't move as much. Mm-hmm. So they, they do different things. Mm-hmm. I've always found that sort of more structured approach interesting, but I've not seen tons of that era. But 60s, 70s, like you said, is just kind of still vague in my head as far as what else exists in those time periods. Okay, sure. Listeners, I would love to hear more of what you thought about our historical topics for this season. And I'd be really curious to see what would you like to hear more about next season? There's a lot out there that we didn't even touch on. Yes, for sure. And like I said, I do think next time I'll try to hone in a little bit more on the individual years that we talk about, especially if it's a decade that we've really we've covered in yeah. sometime this season. We won't need to rehash all that again, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe we'll focus in a little bit more on what was going on in 1943, 1933, yeah. for example. All right. I guess then, Tim, it's time to do our list of essentialness. Yes, we've been talking about this part of it for a while. So because we watched 10 movies, well, 11 count the... Counting a trip to the moon, but we're, 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 not. Ca- we're not including that. That's its own thing. And we, since this is a podcast for casual movie fans who've always meant to watch classic movies, we thought at the end we say, okay, say you listen to the whole season, you have watched these, which ones are the most necessary or important and fun to watch. So we kind of took those kind of three ideas. Like, it's important, it's essential, I guess it's the same thing. And is it also kind of 
Is it enjoyable? Yeah, it's enjoyable. It's not a slog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a different... I'm glad you reminded me that this was a podcast for casual movie fans. Because if you're a film buff or want to be film buff, well, one, you've probably seen some of these. But I could see making a different case for those who really want to be scholarly in their film appreciation. Yeah, you, you'd pick different movies for the top couple than we might here. Right. Right. Um, but we'll just start from the bottom, move up, give a, a brief sort of summary why it exists here. So number 10 is Gangs of New York. It's probably not a surprise for uh, most listeners. This was the movie we probably enjoyed the least this season. It's the only one that I kind of dislike. And that, cinematically, it's very interesting, but it's not easy to watch. Yeah. I will say one thing that occurred to me, or one thing that happened as I was editing these episodes, it was very interesting. In the process of editing them, I tended to find my affection for each movie increased a little mm-hmm. bit because you you go back and rewatch and see different scenes. And even with Gangs of New York, which I still don't know that I would really recommend to most, if anyone, but still, I did find it's like, you know what? Even though this is this movie is really not for me, there is good filmmaking going on here. There are a lot of good elements in it. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. It's not a bad movie. It's just not... For in terms of like must seeness, it's on the bottom of this list. Yes. Number nine is the Poseidon Adventure. The Poseidon Adventure. Yes, this <laughs> for just sheer popcorn fun, it's a fun movie. Yeah. But as far as essentialness, uh Yeah. <laughs> it's a disaster movie, and I, that's not why we're ranking it low, even though disaster movie is not my cup of tea, but it's also just a disaster movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just basically a, a pretty well done disaster movie. Like when we, in our episode, we, we mentioned that it's both on the like the FI list and on the Razzies list. So that's just sort of where it exists. Yeah. I th- and I think you said it's good, but it's not great either. And yeah. so if you're really into disaster movies, sure, check it out. But otherwise, it's as far as this, this list of great movies, it's very middle of the road. Yes. So low importance. Number eight is Nosferatu. Nosferatu, and I could see some people maybe ranking this a little higher, again, if you're more of the film buff type, mm-hmm. but it's a little tricky in some ways because it is very essential, like there's a lot of, it's essential for the very specific genre of film. Because a lot of the scenes are iconic in certain areas, like yeah. in horror, in vampire, it's almost like a cult classic, I mean it's not, but it's old enough that it's no longer cult classic i guess yeah i mean yeah it is in some ways i mean it, probably if you're a, a real horror movie aficionado you know about nosferatu i enjoyed it but it is a silent movie it is just not quite on the same level of both need to see and pure enjoyment that the top of this list has yeah there are some silent movies i would rank higher on another list but nosferatu i i don't think for me, my opinion, not one of the most essential. I'd mm-hmm. say if you really want to check out silent movies, check out some Charlie Chaplin first. Yeah. You could almost just see scenes of Nosferatu and get the essentialness out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, number seven is The Magnificent Ambersons. I had... this, one, this one was rough, guys. We we like this movie a lot. Yeah, and I was really. T- I think when I when we first. We kind of did our own individual rankings. I think I originally ranked this just a few spots higher. Mm-hmm. I think I may rank the number five. But again, when we were looking at what does a casual viewer most need to see, I had to admit the Magnificent Ampersons is not talked about nearly as much as some of these other ones. It basically is a great movie, but it's not Citizen Kane. So it doesn't hit that sort of casual movie must have some knowledge about. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had never heard about it before. 
this yeah. podcast. And it's it's really weird. My my mom had actually read the book in her own book club, and I don't think she even knew that there was a movie on it, which kind of floored me. Because again, if you're into film history, film critics know about the Magnificent Ampersons. But outside of that, eh. So it's a great movie, but not essential. Yeah. For a casual movie. For, for, for this listing, yes. Yeah. Uh, number six is Horse Feathers. Yes, and Horse Feathers just because it's a Marx Brothers it's movie. Just, it's just fun. It's a lot of fun. It's easy to watch. It's a blast to watch. It's very approachable. Marx Brothers are just sort of those. Their name you should know if you don't know anything about them. Yeah, it's a live action cartoon. There's there's no reason if you're looking for if you've already seen some of the other movies on this list and you haven't seen Horse Feathers, there's no reason why you shouldn't. No, it's just fun. Yeah, and the only reason probably why it's not higher is that it is silly and to be fair there are other marx brothers movies you could watch but this one i think is up there probably within at least their top three yeah number five is life of pi life of pi i suggested ranking this one a little higher up just because in some ways it's a more recent movie Mm -hmm. not to have i don't know recency bias is maybe i don't want to have chronological snobbery as uh, lewis would put it but at the same time, there's something to a more recent movie that a lot of people know and a lot of people liked. And I th- and it's super well done. It is super well done. And I do think it's going to be remembered, not just like as a, as a flash in the pan, sort of like, well, people enjoyed it at the Oscars and then people forgot about it. No, it, it certainly is. I can see watching it having known nothing that it won Oscars or anything. It's just very well done. Ang Lee is a well-known director. Yep. So it's worth it for that reason. There's some really neat ideas that go around and yeah. it has some very iconic imagery. Like, yes. <laughs> like you said, you would mention the name and people's like, is that the one with the tiger? Exactly. So it very much deserves a spot right here in the middle. Yep. All right. Number four, Unforgiven. This was surprising. You had to talk me into this a little bit, but like, you know, it is Clint Eastwood. Talk me into ranking it this high. Yeah. I originally had it a little bit lower because he's done a lot of movies, but this was a surprise for the season about how much we enjoyed Unforgiven. It was one I'm like, oh, okay, we'll watch this R-rated Western, and it's still an R-rated Western, but it stuck with me a long time. I'm an idea guy. There's tons of ideas going on here. The script is absurdly well-written. Mm-hmm. It's filmed beautifully. It's Clint Eastwood. Yeah, It's probably iconic revisionist Western. Yeah, and it's peak Clint Eastwood both as an actor and as a director. I mean, he's gone on to direct some great, well-acclaimed movies. I haven't seen a lot of them aside from, uh, I think, Sully I mentioned before. But if you're going to start off with Clint Eastwood movies, this is a pretty good place to start. Again, whether you're looking as an actor or as a filmmaker. It definitely also makes me more interested in looking at some of his older westerns where he played kind of the archetypal character that he's playing an old version of here. But yeah, Unforgiven was, for us, I think I said before, but the biggest surprise of the season. Yes. I do want to mention that, like, kind of this middle between seven and four is really squishy for us. We could move things around a, a little bit on most of them. Yeah. But these last three, we were pretty much set on. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, number three is Blade Runner. Blade Runner. This is a very well-known movie these it just, days. It's The imagery is just so iconic. It just has seeped into everything. Yeah. We mentioned some of these. Some we may not have mentioned. I mean, like, The Matrix, mm-hmm. I think, is inspired by Blade Runner. We mentioned, of course, the other Philip K. Dick movies like Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Minority Report mm-hmm. with Tom Cruise. And I'm sure there's lots of others it, I'm forgetting. It's just gritty, futuristic sci-fi. It's sort of, this is like the progenitor of a lot of the normal, uh, how we think about it now. Yeah. Now, the story is a little um, 
you found it lacking in a, in a little. Or it's at least like you said. What do we talk about? It lacks the human touch to a certain extent. Lacks the human touch, which I guess kind of makes sense in the context. But you know, it's interesting. I said that Roger Ebert was the one who criticized it for that reason, but he did also later do a great movies essay about it. I think in some ways, just because the movie had captured so much of the film fan imagination Mm -hmm. or the film lover's imagination that it it kept being referenced in his essay about it he he knows that like he had written a few paragraphs and was like well wait a minute i never actually explained what a replicant is but everyone knows what a replicant (laughs) is now (laughs) so if you're okay with watching r-rated movies if you're okay interested in dark sci-fi yeah it's an essential one it is number two is lawrence of arabia it's Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Does this really need further explanation? And I say that, but I had never seen it. But, like, you see it, and it is just Lawrence of Arabia. It's an entire package of almost four hours that's beautifully filmed, complicated character study, and it works. Yeah. It is a beast of a film. And probably the main reason why a lot of people don't get around, like, we hadn't gotten around to watching it is because it is a time investment. It is. It's an event to sit down and watch Lawrence of Arabia. It is just itself. Yeah. But, I mean, that doesn't make it a burden. It's a it's a masterpiece to enjoy. So, for the casual movie fan, yes, this is the time commitment, but it's hard not to put it up here near the top. Yeah. yeah it, it, deserved, it well deserves its reputation. And then number one is Singing in the Rain. I'm singing in the rain just singing in the rain. What a great <laughs> it's, it's just about perfect. Yeah. The sheer amount of joy that we had over this and how much we uh, we raved about it, how much we were exuberant about it afterwards and, and getting to record a podcast about it a week later. It's just a fun, fun movie. There's very few movies that still can't, you know, and th- that was what, 50, 60 years old? Nin- uh, 1952, so. 70 years old. Yeah. It's just pure joy to watch. And it just does it effortlessly. It's very clever. It's full of energy. I know we commented, like, all the people had not seen Like, why have we not seen this thing? <laughs> I was the only one who had. And, it, and I got some feedback from someone who said it was really actually fun to hear from people who had never seen Singing in the Rain. <laughs> so, like, seriously, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not watched it, it is, quite frankly, the only one that, I mean, if you're going to watch one, watch Singing in the Rain. Yeah. I mean, odds are you might have already, but yes. if for some reason you hadn't, again, no judgment, but man, are you in for a treat. I had it, so there you go. That's yeah. why I do this podcast. Dancing and singing in the rain. All right, so that's our, that's our list of essentialness. So, Tim, do you have any sort of things you would, for just personal enjoyment, that you would, like, kind of your top couple? My personal favorites, actually, most of them are pretty similar. Uh, I had Singing in the Rain and Lawrence as, as number one and two. Again, just talking about movies we've, we've covered this yeah. season. Uh, my number three, I put Horse Feathers, actually. I can see that, yeah. Because Horse Feathers is, is just a fun, silly movie in terms of just pure enjoyment. Yeah, I've had that number three. My number four was Life of Pi, because mm-hmm. I just really enjoyed the beauty and the thematic things to think about, even though yeah. I, I don't agree with its own theology. I just enjoyed that one a lot. And my number five, Unforgiven. So oh, nice. again, because it was such a surprise. Just as a surprise, yeah. I mean, for pure enjoyment, I think Blade Runner would go down the list for me a little uh, bit. Because I can appreciate it, but I don't love it. 
I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's a little it's more of an intellectual. Like I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a little dark for my personal tastes. Um, I think Emerson would move way move up for me. I'm not sure where, but I really enjoyed that movie. Okay. And horse feathers. I would agree with all everything else you said about that. But, but yeah, Lawrence and Lawrence surprised me too because I knew it was great. But I think I mentioned this on our episode is that I'm just always a little cur- like, why does something have to be three and a half hours? But. <laughs> It works in that case. It so. does. It does. I did ask my wife, Janelle, who you folks got to hear in our instant reactions segment, uh, what her favorite movies of the season were. And she picked out three for me. She picked out Singing in the Rain, yep. because again, it's a classic, Life of Pi, mm-hmm. for similar reasons that I just said. And the one that most surprised me, she mentioned Nosferatu, which she said uh, she just really enjoyed because it was just such a different movie experience. It is a very different... It is a very... Um memorable experience if you've never seen something like that yeah for sure yeah if, if it's a format of film you're not used to silent films or just that the kind of atmosphere that it mm-hmm. creates so we mentioned all this because just because we ranked something differently in our essentialness doesn't mean that one of these other movies that we rank low is essentialness isn't worth watching yeah there, i think i was glad to watch I'm trying to say, if I want to say all the movies. <laughs> <laughs> There's that whole gangs in New York. There's gangs in New York, I just don't know what to do with. But the vast majority of the movies were great movies to watch. I don't regret watching them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I forgot to We should have asked Natasha what her favorites were. I had asked her and I don't remember. But I think Singer Ring was at the top. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that has been our season. That's right. So theoretically, there'll be a season two. And we, we have some ideas for the movies for season two. Of course, that'll be recorded in 2023, which as of this episode comes out is only like a day or two away. Yes. So happy new year. I think we're going to actually expand the episode count. We're going to go the 12 episodes next season. So that means we can go back all the way back to 1903 mm-hmm. and do one in uh, 1913 because I didn't quite feel right in retrospect of not having one in that decade. We, we can cover it this time and say what happened. Yes. Yes. I think we have, we certainly have those picked out, and we have movies picked out for the other decades too. But if there's a movie that you are feel particularly strongly that you would like to see, I am opening up for audience nominations. Yes, absolutely. We have no guarantees that we'll use those, but I would like to hear what you use. And if there is strong enough demand for a movie, who knows? Maybe we'll change our minds. Yes, sounds good. Leave us a comment on this episode at our website, derailedtrainsofthought.com. Please, if you've enjoyed this series, please share it with your friends and family and Your pets. enemies. Um, <laughs> your pets. <laughs> because really, the best way to, I guess, you know, if you enjoy it, share it. Because that's how we how we can bring joy to other people and, and just knowledge of movies. Yes, absolutely. Um, also, leaving us a uh, re- review, whether on Apple Podcasts or any other podcatcher you're listening this to on. It doesn't have to be... Uh, verbose or anything just you know however many stars you think and i like it or good job or death to the infidels or whatever (laughs) don't do the last one maybe not the last one but uh yes that helps complete strangers who come across our podcast (laughs) be like oh no these are actual real people yes so but thank you for listening for these episodes for this journey through the decades and for um for watching me and tim experience all kinds of great movies gave us a great excuse to watch good art that's right Hope you enjoyed watching us watch this or watch these. And also, as you're waiting for the new season to come out, check out our uh, main podcast, Derail Trains of Thought, where we talk about all manner of storytelling for the creator and the consumer. And if you follow us on Twitter or Facebook, you may hear about uh, other podcast projects that we may wind up doing before we get to season two of Let's Finally Watch This. I kind of expect season two will be around the same time of year in 2023 as this season was. Fall-ish. 
So you could be looking forward to that. But until then, we have some other ideas. We'll see what winds up happening. Yes. <laughs> but by subscribing to us on social media, you can get those details as they come out. Or, of course, by subscribing to Derailed Trains of Thought. We'll probably talk about it there, too. That's true. All right. I guess with that, we're finally out. And we will talk to you in 2023, hopefully. Until then, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.